the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, previously pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England, was preaching on a topic not exactly like this, but very similar to this. And he prefaced his message with these words, and I'm reading them from his transcript. We certainly are entering into the realm of ultimate mystery. Let us therefore take off our shoes from off our feet, for the place on which we stand is holy ground. This is a passage that must be approached with reverence, with humility, and with care. It does indeed hold us face to face with some of the most mysterious elements of biblical teaching and of Christian teaching in particular. Let us bear in mind what the scripture says. Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Let us pray. Holy, holy, holy. There is none like you. There is not a blemish in your eternal being. You are beyond impeachment. You are beyond criticism. You are beyond the judgment of us feeble human beings. You stand in brightness and holiness. And your ways are not our ways. And your thoughts are not our thoughts. In fact, your ways are past knowing. Who has ever counseled you, Lord God? Who has ever instructed you in what to do? You are the thrice holy God. And we have, as the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has said, have entered into very holy ground. And I pray that we will tremble at your word. I pray that this preacher would have the right affections that come from you, the right thoughts that come from you, and that you would anoint that which is true with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus said to that crowd many years ago, he who has ears, let him hear. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About a hundred years ago, there was a, an evangelist, a preacher in the United States by the name of R.A. Torrey. R.A. Torrey was a contemporary of D.L. Moody. Torrey preached and evangelized around the 
the nation. He eventually became the president of a little Bible school, which today is known as Boot Moody Bible Institute. He pastored a little church in Chicago that is today known as Moody Church. As a friend of D.L. Moody's, D.L. Moody told him a story. It's recorded in this little book that I've had for nearly 30 years by R.A. Torrey called Getting Ready for Eternity. I'm summarizing the story. Moody told Torrey that one day he met a young man when he was still not a Christian, a believer. The young man told Moody that when he left home as a teenager, his mother gave him a New Testament as he was leaving home. And his mother said to him, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. The boy moved to a town, and he got a job there, and he decided to go to a church. The very first Sunday he had entered the church, the pastor got up to preach, and the first words out of the pastor's mouth, was seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. All through his life, and the story recounts it, the details, and I won't go into the details. All through his life, occasion after occasion, that verse kept coming back to him through one means or another. And he kept saying to God, I will do this when my life goals have been met. After one instance of a very strong spiritual battle where God was convicting him, he ran into Mr. Moody again, who he hadn't seen for several years. And he told Mr. Moody, he said, that verse has been coming to me ever since I talked to you last. But he says, as of today, it seems that I have no struggle anymore. It seems to me that I have no inclination to become a Christian ever. Moody didn't understand that. But he himself went to Boston and he involved in, the, in his story and he became a Christian. And he remembered meeting that man and that story and suddenly he learned what was going on in that young man's life. As the years passed, when Moody was home, he asked his mother about the young man. What's happened to him? Where has he gone? His mother told him that he could be found at an insane asylum in that town. And he could be seen sitting in his chair, rocking back and forth, saying these words, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The number of times
that the Jews in Jesus' day heard the gospel. The number of times they saw miracles. The number of times that they recognized the signs that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet, at this placement of the story of Christ, it is absolutely beyond comprehension how so many of them refuse to believe. It is beyond comprehension how you can have the incarnate Son of God in your community preaching and teaching and doing miracles and yet hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds refused to believe. And the question that we might ask and should ask, why? Why? If it was me, you might be able to say, well, he's not very articulate. He doesn't speak with, with great authority. He, he's not a very good speaker. You might say, well, not enough people were praying. Or the music just wasn't right. Why would hundreds and hundreds of people look at the Lamb of God and turn away and say, no? And at this juncture in John's Gospel, he gives us the inspired answer. I know that as I asked that question, many of you said to yourself, I know why. But my opinion and your opinion doesn't count. John tells us why. And so I invite you to turn in John's Gospel, chapter 12. John's Gospel, chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 36 to 43. Initially, as we read this, John is, you're going to see that John is going to be quoting from the book of Isaiah. And his first quote from Isaiah is really asking the same question that the prophet Isaiah asked hundreds of years before. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The answer is to hundreds of people. Why haven't they believed? <laughs> Why haven't they believed? John, John is quoting Isaiah's question, which is our question. Why haven't they believed? John 12, starting to read it, the latter part of verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though, notice the, the, the English word here, though... He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Now here's the purpose statement. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, 
Who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is God's holy word. The topic that Jesus, that John is teaching us, the category that you can file this in, in theology is called the judicial hardening of Israel. Judicial hardening of Israel. I would be not surprised if there were many here in the auditorium this morning, many listening online, who had never ever studied the judicial hardening of Israel, had never studied the divine hardening of people's hearts. In fact, I've heard very accomplished teachers teach on Mark 4, which Rich read for us today, and like a good NHL hockey player, skate around the verses that say, I speak in parables so they will not hear. It's a very difficult topic to speak about. God's judicial hardening is said that way because it comes from God. It's a hardening that comes from God. And it's called judicial hardening because it's a judgment. It's a judgment on a person or a people. And it's a judgment that is just. It is holy. It is righteous. It is fair. It is beyond impeachment. It is beyond reproach. It is judicial. It is right and good. It's not the impulse of a tyrant God. It's the decision of a God who is absolutely just and holy and true. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, where a similar occasion occurs where 
Pharaoh is hardened by God. And again in Isaiah where it is spoken of, of the nation of Israel being hardened by God. The verb to harden is an important word for us to understand the meaning of. Because the Hebrew word literally means to strengthen or to establish. The point why it's so important to understand that is to understand that God is hardening something that is already in a state of hardness. He's strengthening the resolve of hardness. It may not be the greatest illustration, but it's the only one I can think of. If, if we were pouring a pad of concrete, that concrete already has the natural ingredients to harden over time. But when the contractor adds a hardening chemical to it, it establishes its, its path of hardening. It strengthens its resolve to harden to the point where it becomes hard. That's the idea behind the Hebrew word to harden. That God justly and judiciously, according to his own will, has the prerogative to harden, to establish in a hardening way those who are already on the path of rejecting him. The hardening of Israel was forecast all the way back to Isaiah, the prophet, as John teaches us. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Let's read verses 8 through to 10. You'll recall that the first part of Isaiah 6 is the prophet Isaiah having a vision of God in his temple in his, and, he, and, and the, the seraphim are singing, holy, holy, holy. And God is looking for a messenger to go to Israel. And he appoints Isaiah to be that messenger after his mouth is cleansed from the altar. And then in verse 8 we read, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Six times this passage in Isaiah is quoted in the Gospels. Six times. And here this is John's explanation 
to why so many people in Israel rejected the Messiah. This is John's explanation of why the nation in majority did not receive the Savior. His explanation is this, is that God has divinely and judiciously hardened the nation. God told Isaiah that he would prevent Israel from hearing and responding to the gospel. And so likewise in the parables, when Jesus taught parables, he explained that these parables are for those who have been given the light, but they also have a double side for those who have been judiciously hardened they become even more confusing and they see but can't see and hear but can't hear. Another example of this judicial hardening, as I mentioned, was the Pharaoh in Egypt at the time when Israel was in captivity. And if I were to recount the story for you, you'll remember that God told Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let Israel go. And then God told Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And what actually happened? Moses went into Pharaoh's court and said, let my people go. He said, no way. He came back another time, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no way. He came back a third time and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no way. But this time, the scripture adds, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says again, Moses came, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then finally, Moses went in and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when God hardens the heart of a man or a woman, it is forever. And it's the saddest, saddest account in the Word of God. My prayer is this morning that nobody in this room and nobody listening to this sermon will become an individual whom God hardens your heart. Grant Osborne, the commentator on the Gospel of John, says, it's not a cold, calculated act, but it falls on a people who are already guilty. They have been guilty of unbelief, and God is judging them by sending further hardening on them. Brother, do you want to know what hardening looks like? Please look again in John 12. Let me show you what hardening looks like. The latter part of verse 36. 
When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. That's what hardening is. You can cry and you can call. You can look, you can seek, but you'll never find him. There comes a time in the life of an unbeliever when the constant refusal to repent, the constant choice to continue in their sin, results in God departing and hiding himself from them. Paul stresses this point in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. But verse 28, listen to these words. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. The saddest words in all Scripture, the saddest notion in all Scripture, that by the way was experienced by Jesus for us who have believed, is when God turns his back. When God says, enough. When God says, my spirit will not always strive with men. There comes a day for those who persistently reject the truth, where they will be unable to believe the truth. Notice what John says. Notice that verse 3, they could not believe. This is a ma not a matter of they didn't want to believe. This is not a matter is they didn't know what to believe. This is a matter that when God judicially hardens an unrepentant person, they cannot believe. They are beyond the capability of believing. They are, the, the concrete has been cast and hardened and it will not change. There comes a day when those who persistently hear the gospel, who persistently hear the invitation, come whosoever will may come, who persistently say no. God then hardens their heart and they cannot believe. The Apostle John was right when he started this gospel, in chapter 1, verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Even some of those who appeared to receive in him. We have several times through this gospel, occasions when it is said of people who apparently seem to believe in him, but like in this case, they wouldn't confess him. May I remind you, that if you do not confess Jesus Christ 
as your Lord among men, he will not confess you as his in heaven. May I remind you there are no secret service Christians. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You cannot be a believer in the transcendent, glorious Savior and seek your glory from someone else. So even those who purported to believe had a faith that was spurious. It was a denial. It was fake. Because the pressures of mankind were more than their will could stand. You have to understand how hard it is to preach on a topic like this. And you have to understand how hard it is to hear a topic like this. For those of us who hear this kind of teaching, our hearts are immediately drawn to those whom we love, loved ones, friends, family, who have heard the gospel over and over again. And the greatest fear flows through us and says, Oh Lord, please do not harden them. And as a word of encouragement, may I say to you that you and I have no insight into whom God hardens. This is a divine, sovereign decision of Almighty God. It's not our decision. And we don't know his decision in these cases. And so we get to continue to, continue to love people and share the gospel with people and invite people to come to Christ and ask people to be reconciled to God. We get to do that. We do not have the insight into whom God hardens. But please understand that God does harden people who persistently remain in unbelief. And they are eventually cast into this stone that will never change in time or eternity. C.S. Lewis was right. There are only two kinds of people. There are people who say to God today, Thy will be done. Or there are people that God will say to you, Your will be done. Did you understand that? This morning in this room and online, there are only two kinds of people. There are people who have said to God, Thy will be done. You have loved me. You have saved me. My life is centered on loving you and obeying you and seeking your will. But there may be people hearing this where God may say to you someday, is your will to live your own life under your own terms? Is your will to constantly seek your own pleasure and not my glory? Is your will to remain in your unrepentant sin and not turn to me in repentance and faith? Is that your will? Then your will be done. And when God says that, it's over. Who are you today? Listening? Are you one that has said, Thy will be done?
or are you one that one day will hear from God, your will be done? I notice also in this topic of judicial hardening that the Bible is not scared to warn Christians of the same thing. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Notice verse 7. I'm sure I'm invading on some of Pastor Josh's territory because he eagerly is desirous of taking us through uh, a, the study and the preaching of this book of Hebrews. And, but I have, to, I have to bring this to your attention. The book of Hebrews is written to professing Christians. Professing Christians. And in verse 7 of chapter 3, the preacher here is saying, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked by that generation said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways and listen to this I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest you see what God was doing there and we're warned today not to be that kind of people this is the first step in the New Testament that helps us to not be people who are hardening our hearts. And the first clue is, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. That's the first step, is do not become a person who is delayed in obeying the voice of God. Do not be a person who says, like that young man to Moody, someday, when things are all in order, I will. Do not be a professing Christian today who says, someday I will put God first in my life. Don't be a professing Christian to, and say today, to some other day I will deal with this sin that I'm so enjoying right now. Please do not harden your heart. If you hear his voice today, respond today. Because there may not be a tomorrow. That's the first help the New Testament gives us as, belie as professing believers. To put it in one sentence, let me say it this way. And you've probably heard this before. It's not original to me. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When God speaks to us through His Word to respond in a certain way, to be corrected in a certain way, to be rebuked in a certain way, He expects us to respond today. 
for tomorrow will bring hardening. The second help that you and I have is in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be, what, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Nobody can live the Christian life alone. Your pastor, your elders, your deacons, your Sunday school teachers, your parents, your brothers and sisters sitting in the pew need someone in their life every day encouraging them not to fall away. You need someone every day speaking into your life. And I'm desperately concerned about people who say, no, I don't. My life is my life. It's my business. That's the heart of an unbeliever. A Christian needs someone every day. We are all desperately, desperately on the verge of falling from God unless some loving brother and sister says, come, please, look. Let me help. Let me exhort. Let me encourage. The process of sanctification is a community job. And if you think that you can go day after day outside of the fellowship of God's people, and I don't mean talking about COVID-19 or hockey games or the latest recipes. I'm talking about people who gather who will speak truth into your heart, who will challenge what you say, who will challenge what you're doing, who will bring a biblical loving exhortation to your life. If you don't have that, your heart will harden and you will fall away. The Bible isn't scared about warning professing Christians of the same thing. The same sin of Pharaoh, the same sin of the nation of Israel, the same sin is standing crouching at my door and your door. And the anecdote to that, the answer to that is one, when God speaks to you, you obey right away. And secondly, don't you be absent from friends who love Jesus, who will challenge you about your life. You and I both need it desperately. As you can see, beloved, this is the most terrorizing of all topics. The fact that simply God, at some point God will simply walk away from a person is terrorizing to me. The fact that a person can live an unrepentant life day after day and finally God might in his sovereign judicial decision say, 
you want to live that way, I'm going to let you live that way, is terrorizing to me. The fact that God will cooperate with the will of an unbeliever at some point and say, you want to live your own life? You want me out of your life? So be it. The fact that a sovereign holy God will cooperate with the will of an unbeliever and say, you want nothing to do with me? I will go hide myself from you. That is terrorizing to me. So if you're here this morning and you have never repented of your sin and turned to Christ Jesus as your Savior and put your faith in Him and been renewed by His Holy Spirit and are seeking to live your life in following Him, if yes doesn't describe you, I plead with you today Turn to Christ today. Don't wait till this afternoon. Don't wait till tomorrow. It's the voice that you hear in your heart calling you to, your, to himself may suddenly grow dead. And if you're here this morning and you are sure that you're a Christian, but you're living and harboring sin and unrepentance. I'm also scared for you. Because your hard heart will lead you away from the Savior you profess to know. And you will die in your sins. good news is that God still is speaking today. And next Sunday we get to see the good news that just as Jesus closes the very last words of his earthly ministry, he closes with an invitation to sinners to come to him. And I close this morning with an invitation the sinners to come to him. This God who loved mankind beyond measure sent his son to take your place in this life and live the life that you could not live perfectly. And he says to you, if you put your faith in me, I'll give you my righteousness. Jesus Christ also went to the cross and died for your sin and paid for every sin you have, will, or ever commit. And that forgiveness is yours by faith alone in Christ alone. And when he left this earth and went back to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell those who have truly repented and have faith in him. And his Holy Spirit will guide you and keep you correct you and teach you and bring you safely home to heaven. And all you have to do is bow your knee and surrender your will and put your trust in him.
And why you would walk out of here and refuse, I don't know why. I don't know why any sane human being on this planet would turn away from such an invitation. And yet people do it by the multitudes. Literally multitudes. And I hope no one here listening will be one. Will you pray with me, please? He who has ears, let him hear. Sovereign God, we ask you to work in our lives, in the lives of our family and our friends. We pray, Father, that it would be no one that we know that you would turn your back on and never speak to again. So, Lord, cause us to be lovingly gracious and persistent in communicating the gospel to men and women and boys and girls that we meet. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning who professes to be a Christian and yet is living unrepentant, sin-harboring lives, oh Father, that they would hear today and repent and turn to you. This is such a sobering message. It's hard to find joy in it. Other than the fact, Father, we know you're still working and you're still calling men and women to yourself. And the gospel is still going out around the world. And people are still being saved. And someday we will gather with these whom you have redeemed by your blood. And the number will be without measure. As we behold your glory. As we bow before your throne. Leave us Send us this morning, Father, with a very serious and sober intent. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 7, verse 12. Would you please stand with me? We say amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>